Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to MAV Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome, everyone, to episode 12 of Mav Sports Take. Can you believe it? We are on our three-month anniversary. It's Ryan Roberts and Mr. David Turner here for this Halloween special. Whether you're joining us for the 12th time or the first time, we thank you for tuning in with us tonight. Last week, David and I brought on an interview with Mike Singer of Rivals.com to discuss high school recruiting and in particular recruiting as it relates to the University of Notre Dame. This week, we have another great interview. Um, bring it on TSN CFL correspondent, Baron Walji. Hopefully, I didn't butcher that too bad. Discuss the state of the CFL, passing of BC Lions owner David Bradle, and his take on the NFL as well. We're doing this Halloween special, so if you're wondering, if you're joining us live here on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Twitch, why I look so stupid, well, you have... Um, a man in space here tonight leading this podcast, David Turner. David, what do you call that outfit? What are we calling this? I'm the Rogen, a Roman legionnaire. Yeah, baby. Oh, baby. Spell legionnaire for me. No, I will no. not. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Halloween twist on all our topics tonight. We also obviously are going to get into the unmuzzled side of the NFL college football. Give us some pickums. We got a mailbag. Also, if you are watching us live now at Rise and Draft on Twitter, you should be posting uh, questions at any point. We can talk anything tonight. You want to talk Halloween? We got you. You want to talk about NFL? We got you there. College football, NFL draft, the business world, the state of the world in general, we got you. Throw a comment in the section. We're going to take those at the end. We'll also sprinkle some in if there's some good ones during the show Before we begin and get into the nitty-gritty, we want to take you to an interview. Again, we have Mr. Farham Lalji, Lalji, who is going to take us through the CFL world and the NFL world, NFL, not NFL draft, college football. He does a little bit of everything. We're going to tune into that interview now. Now we're going to bring on Mr. Farham Lalji. He is a Vancouver correspondent and senior football reporter for SportsCenter, TSN's flagship sports news and information program. Lalji, who joined TSN in 1997, covers the Canucks and the BC Lions, as well as other sports stories in the Vancouver area. 
He also covers football, NFL, CFL, college football across North America, and this is a CFL insider. In addition to his television work with TSN, Lalji is also a regular contributor on TSN 1040 Radio and a fill-in sports anchor at CTV Vancouver. Welcoming you in, Farm. How are you doing tonight, man? Appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm sorry I couldn't dress the part, though. You guys have uh, taken it to another level. Hey, it's our it's Mass Force take, Sports Take first Halloween edition. So we want to make it special and memorable for all of our listeners and anybody who joins us watching this uh, live take. Well, you know what? Maybe before it's all over, I can slip on a, a mask or something. Does it? Does this count? If I if I just do that, does that count? Probably not. <laughs> no, probably not. And, not. and you know what? Years pass, maybe, but in 2020, that's just going with the flow now. <laughs> that's the normal now. Yeah, that's the new normal. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, our connection from the CFL and and everything, and then what's going on up there. I, I think our listeners really don't know what's happening, and it's something that should be talked about. Um, first and foremost, though, I think we need to pay respects. Uh, troubling news out of BC yesterday, you know, with um, the the passing of the long term ten the, the longest tenured owner in the B, in the in the CFL, David Braley. Uh, as a man who lives in the community and covers CFL, especially the Lions, you'll know best, if not better than every, anybody, what he's meant to the franchise, the league, and the community. Can you just uh, speak on that to our listeners to let you know give him some time here? Yeah, I mean, David Braley has just been a, a real icon in the Canadian Football League. He took over the BC Lions late in the 96 season when the team was basically in receivership. Uh, from their previous owner. So, you know, he, he rescued the franchise on so many levels and just brought a real level of stability to it because, um, <laughs> excuse me, he's, he's very successful in um, uh, steel and in the auto parts industry. Uh, he's based out in Hamilton and he's actually owned three teams in the CFL at various times, including two at once, which at the time was an eight team league. And that's, you know, that's a lot of power when you, when you own two teams, but uh, you know, he's certainly uh, done a lot of great things here with the BC Lions. He's been very committed. I mean, you know, the, the league kind of goes through ebbs and flows depending on the franchise. Some teams are quite profitable. Some teams, you better have a philanthropist. And, and David's had both of those here in BC, both of those elsewhere in the league. Uh, he's given millions uh, in his community in Hamilton to his alma mater at McMaster University in Hamilton. Uh, he's got the Order of Canada. Uh, just a, a person that's been really, really well-respected across the country and his passing I uh, got a lot of mention from from people, you know, in all platforms, not just football. So uh, a sad day in the NFL. He earned the CFL. He'd been in bad health for some time. So, um, you know, I, I think none of us were necessarily surprised that it happened, but uh, a hard day nonetheless. Well, it's hard, it's hard also because, I I mean, Ed Har Har Hervey retired or left the team just like, what, 10 days ago. And now the owner passes. That's a lot of transition for the, the club to be going through. How are they going to handle this transition moving forward? Have they given you any indication how this is uh, going to go? Well, I mean, first of all, they're going to wait, obviously. I mean, there, there's going to be a funeral and, and a service at some point, you know, in a week or so. And then about a week after that, I would imagine that they're going to open up the will. And I know that, that Braley did have some specific instructions with how he wanted the Lions dealt with, right? So, First question, you know, as far as the executor and the, the estates and the family, do they want to continue to own the team? Which I would be surprised if long-term that's what they wanted. Uh, I think more than anything, uh, David wanted stability for the team during a transition. And he put a number of mechanisms in place, both in terms of finances and 
legally to ensure that that happens. There are a group of local businessmen who try, have tried to buy the team from David for some time, and, and he just didn't want to sell it. He didn't like the structure of the ownership group. Deep down, I think those close to David and close to the team knew that David didn't really want to sell it. And I don't know that there would have been a, a plausible CFL offer that he would have accepted. I mean, if someone blew him out of the water with, you know, a, an NFL type offer, then, then obviously, but that's not realistic. So uh, I think anything that would have fit the CFL profile wasn't going to be enough for David because the league meant so much to him. He just didn't want to relinquish influence. He always wanted to have a seat at the table. But now that he's passed, I, you know, I can't see his family or his estate wanting to run the team long term. So, uh, you know, I would imagine that in the next year or so, there will be a transition to a group of local businessmen. And then the question becomes, is there an actual asking price? Because as I mentioned, when David bought the team, he took it out of receivership. And that, you know, that happened with Montreal earlier this year, where the team didn't get sold essentially for a dollar amount. They basically picked up the debt, right? And and that was the owner's cost for taking over the team. And, um, you know, that's happened in the league before. So, uh, you know, the team in the last few years hasn't been as successful at the gate. So it hasn't been as profitable as teams like Edmonton, who you worked for, or Saskatchewan or Winnipeg. Uh, so, you know, I, I would imagine that it, it winds up being a, a, you know, a transfer of assets as opposed to a, a formal sale with a with an eight-figure amount attached to it. That's interesting because I would have thought that there would be a sale price. You know, that's, that's there might be, but it won't yeah. be what David was looking for. You know, three or four years ago when. Uh, you know, when he was talking about the team kind of being at the height of sale at that point. So it's been a story here for a long time, six or seven years at least, that David has talked about selling the team. And, and ultimately, it just doesn't happen, which is, as I mentioned, led everyone here to believe he just never really wanted to sell it. What you kind of get, he's been in the league for how many years? I mean, he was the longest tenured uh, owner. You know, it's kind of really, it's kind of like when Mr. Davis was getting on in years, he didn't want to give up his seat either. So, you know, kind of get it. Yeah, and, you know, and David had a lot of influence. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, at one point he owned two teams, but even when he just owned one, his opinion was large. I mean, if you think about Jerry Jones or Robert Kraft, you know, that's a 32-team league. David had that level of voice in a nine-team league. So, you know, he, he certainly had his um, his power. Some people viewed him as a bully or a tyrant in terms of how he wielded that power. And if you were a commissioner in this league, you needed to make sure David Braley was outside. Now, in the last year, with his health the way it has been, you know, he, even though he's been an owner, he hasn't really had the voice. But, um, you know, nonetheless, uh, you know, that was certainly a part of, of who he was and how we operated, and, and it mattered to him. Thorne, I, I want to take us to a wide-scope CFL perspective, because obviously we have seen different sports leagues have their successes, have the, the trials and tribulations with trying to get through such a difficult time. From a CFL perspective, the foreseeable future, back in 2021, are we working in a bubble? What do you think is the, the best optimal outcome for the CFL? And what do you think is probably the more realistic CFL version that we might see soon? Well, I, truthfully, I think by the time the dust settles, and this is just the optimistic me, not necessarily a, you know providing an insider's perspective here. Uh, I, I do think that by the time we get to next June, when the league is supposed to start, that we will be in a place where we could at least get limited attendance in stadiums, right? So I do see a scenario where teams are operating at home, that a full schedule is being played. You know, you might see 5,000 fans a game, you know, based on limited attendance. Uh, I could see that happening. But I do know that the league is also looking at the bubble model. Now, last year, they had put one in place that it was, it was basically going to last three months, and that includes training camp all the way through championship. 
so I, I do know that that's kind of their nuclear option, right? Where um, no fans in the stands and they play in a bubble. You know, they, they went through this exercise last year. They'd settled on Winnipeg as the city. Six or seven of the teams wanted to do it. Uh, you know, they were, they were looking at getting government funding and everybody would have done it with government funding. Without the government funding, there were still six or seven teams that wanted to do it, but ultimately not enough to make it go. So I, I think that's the question that needs to be answered in the next month. They're going to go through a long-term business plan as well as short-term options. And they're going to present that to all the owners and governors uh, by what would have been the Grey Cup, which is the last week of November. So I think they want to get certainty that if we have the nuclear option again and there's no government assistance again, uh, are you willing to play? And, and I, I do think they're going to find a way to make that happen. And I also think government assistance will be there. Last time around, there were some political reasons why it didn't happen. Um, but the government at that time said they still did want to work with the league. They just wanted to get a little more clarity and not necessarily be so rushed in terms of how it went down. And they were dealing with some of their own controversy at that time as well, that this might not have um, just sat as well with the general public. But I think when we get to next spring and that time comes, I do think there's going to be some government funding available. And, and I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if teams were able to play at home in a full schedule with limited attendance, at least that, that's what I'm hoping. Would you think a bubble scenario like over there in Toronto and Hamilton would look good because you could have the Western teams play in one home stadium and the Easterns, and they're only about a half hour apart um, driving-wise? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible, and it was an idea that was explored last year, but I think they felt the infrastructure required to create the bubble, you only want to do in one spot, right? Because, you know, there's so much cost attached to that when you look at testing and the other things that need to get done. Now, again, this is where this becomes such a challenge because we just don't know what what's going, what this is all going to look like in the spring from a financial perspective, from a virus perspective, a fan's perspective. You know, I mean, they could turn around and say, okay, it's wide open. We've got a vaccine and the government says, you know, and the Canadian government, David, you know, is a lot more cautious than the American government. So yeah. it's not just, you know, but, but let's say the best case happens and the federal government says, yep, quarantines are all lifted. We've got a vaccine. We're good. You know, the fans may not jump right back in with both feet immediately. You know, the CFL's uh, demo generally skews older. So that's more of a, an at-risk population compared to the rest of society. So, I mean, it, they may not all jump back right away, right? So the revenue isn't all going to be there. So when you talk about a bubble, um, I think the main reason to do a bubble is to keep costs down. And, and I think as a result, it probably makes the most sense to have a single bubble, which, you know, I, I think they projected out that with nine teams, they could logistically make it happen in, in Winnipeg. So, I mean, and I'm not saying they're sold on the city, but in terms of the concept, what the testing in the bubble itself would look like, uh, what the requirements are, what the CBA will look like. I think they've gone through that entire exercise and they would just take that and transplant it from 2020 to 2021. That sounds, that's interesting. And like, obviously we'll keep our, our eyes and ears on that because, you know, a lot of players down here are, are interested in coming up and playing. And there's a lot of American players that make their money up in the north of the border and they want to be able to get back to work up there. So I do want to I want to jump into some of these Halloween themed questions now for you. So the first one is pick the scariest defense in the NFL. Wow. Probably the Chicago Bears. You know, I mean, just watching them play last night, I, I think that's. I think that's an exceptional team. They've got an inside-outside presence with Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks. They're strong in the secondary. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a complete defense, and, and I just look at how bad that offense is. I feel sorry for some of those guys on the defensive side of the ball because that is not 
a contending team because, you know, there used to be a myth. And actually, I shouldn't say that. It wasn't a myth at one time that defense wins championships. In 2020, that's a myth. <laughs> Offense wins championships. You need to be able to put points up on the board. If you look at Seattle, who has an awful defense and a great offense, I don't think either one of these teams are contenders, but if you gave me a choice, I'd take Seattle over Chicago right now. It's interesting because I would take Pittsburgh, who's I think their defense, even though their offense is impressive, their defense is really is really something special. Well, Pittsburgh's the most complete team because you throw in even how they punt the ball and what their special teams does. To me, that's the most complete team in the NFL. I mean, I like Kansas City. You know, I still think they've got the, the highest potential because of who their quarterback is and just how much speed they have across the board. But um, in terms of complete team, I, you know, I do like Pittsburgh. But as far as defense goes, uh, you, you can make the case for Pittsburgh. And I, I think it's a pretty compelling case as well. But I, I'm going to lean Chicago. Okay, now we do a lot of business on the football here on the uh, Mav Sports Take. So this just is one of the fantasy stuff. No, we don't do that here. That's not our show. We're all about business of sports here. So this next one's a business question. Which coach or GM should fear the Reaper cycle? Who's the getting the, the Reaper's cycle? Who's who's getting who's getting cut here? Who's gonna get who's, who's gonna get axed? Who's getting axed? Well, we've seen a couple already. Um you know, I'm not sure that the Ford family is going to be quite ready yet to cut loose from Matt Patricia. But when you look at what, you know, Detroit has done and just their, how they've managed to underachieve, uh, I think that's a scary situation over there. Uh, you know, I look across the NFC East and, and I just think there's, you know, too much newness in terms of Mike McCarthy and Ron Rivera. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't see a scenario where um, Doug Peterson, just a couple of years removed from a Super Bowl title, is going to get... Uh, gassed over there. So, you know, I, I do tend to think those coaches are pretty stable. So, um, you know, we've already seen the bloodletting that's happened in Atlanta. So I think right now I'm probably going to lean to Matt Patricia in Detroit. See, I, I'm all over Adam Geese, uh, Gase. I think Adam Gase needs to go. I think he's the cancer in the locker. He's the cancer in that Jets building. Like, if you ask that question to me, my question, and, and Ryan, our listeners know, I have the clock on him. I think he needs to jump. He's the next one going. Well, when you look at their offense, I mean, he was supposed to be an offensive guru, and offensively, they're terrible. Sam Darnold is regressed even when he's healthy. Uh, the roster's flawed in so many spots, so it, it probably does make some sense. The only reason I haven't gone there yet is because I almost thought it would have happened by now if it was going to. I think they're waiting for the bye week. I think they're waiting for the bye week. Yep, that's that's usually a good a spot where things usually start to take place. I want to ask the next one here. Most Jekyll and Hyde team through the first half of the season. Which one is just all over the place for you? Wow. Um, you know, part of me wants to say New England, but they started hot and they're trending poorly, right, as opposed to just kind of being up and down. We saw a lot of up and down with Tampa Bay uh, early on, but I think they've kind of righted it based on what's happened the last couple of years. Now, if you want to see the Jekylls, the, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde piece, I think Antonio Brown could bring that out there. Right. I mean, I think he's a train wreck waiting to happen. And, and I just I'm not sure how that's going to play. I mean, it didn't work well for the short period of time. He was with Brady in New England. Arians has got a little bit more of a longer leash with these guys. So, you know, could he lean in that direction? I mean, I, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I even looked at New Orleans, you know, at, at one point in the season because their offense is, has been a little bit up and down. Right. I mean, I just expected a little more from Drew Brees, but it's. You know, they've managed to kind of dink and dunk and smoke and mirror it a little bit. You know, I do think he's lost something there. But, you know, generally in terms of win-loss record, there's been some consistency. So, um, 
you know, I, I pr- probably New England is the most just because we haven't seen that level of rock bottom. You know, you kind of thought what you'd seen in the last couple of weeks, even though Newton wasn't playing as well. You thought they could tread water. But what happened in this last game? Oh, my God. Like, I mean, that was just awful. And you wonder if that's just going to spiral in a bad way for a while here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think there, at Jekyll and Hyde, it, it actually goes to a few teams in the league this year. That's why I was kind of curious about what you would say, because there are some teams that have been looking good and then they're now starting to trend down and there's some that didn't and they're starting to come up. So I was interested. I was thinking to- the Raiders. Like, I never know what the Raiders are going to do from a game to game perspective. Like some weeks I'm like, they look like a legitimate contender. And then there's, you know, some goose eggs that get laid from time to time. Well, I mean, and I think offensively, generally, they've been very good, but defensively, they're really, really unpredictable, right? And so I, I just, I, I don't know how you can buy stock in the Raiders just because of that. I mean, they've got injuries defensively, and they're just not that good. Throwing the COVID factor, you know, with the offensive line this past game, and uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, I, I think John Gruden's unpredictable. I think Derek Carr's yet to show um, a complete level of consistency. I mean, I do like what they're doing offensively. But defensively, that's going to keep that group unpredictable all season. Last one for you, okay? Which team will rise from the grave for the second half of the season? With this, with the Jets still in being over, I think there's still 10 teams with one win. Which is the team that's going to rise from that grave and just go, go on a tear here to finish the year out? Okay, give me some choices here. Okay, you're going to have, what is it, the uh, Minnesota Vikings – the Houston Texans, the um, Jets, the Giants, the Washington Redskins, the Cincinnati Bengals. Washington football team. Oh, sorry, Washington football, football team, David. <laughs> I'm a traditionalist, sorry. Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I'm going to take the Houston Texans. I like Cincinnati and how Joe Burrow was trending, but I think that division is too tough. You know, they're sitting there at one, five and one and everybody else has, I believe, at least five wins. Like I, I so so while I like what Burrow's doing and, you know, I can still see him going to, to uh, take out Andrew Luck's rookie passing record. Um, I just I think there's a lot there with Deshaun Watson. I think, you know, J.J. Watt and some pieces of that defense are very good. Uh, it's going to take them a couple of weeks to get used to Romeo Cornell and what he's doing, uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint, what changes they make to their systems. But I think they've got the right leadership. I think they've got the right roster. You know, I am not a Kirk Cousins guy on any level. So you look at Minnesota, a lot of people are surprised they're where they are. I'm not surprised. Um, So I'm going to take the Houston Texans of any of the teams to rise up out of the grave, given what their schedule looks like and what they have in that locker room. And David, David loves the Vikings, so you just broke his heart there. Did I break your heart? No, you didn't break my heart. I'm not a Cousins guy. I never have been. So the money they keep throwing. kind of money guaranteed. That was crazy. I know. I, know, I was, was going like, like, they, they just, just keep, keep throwing, throwing money. money into that pot, which I'm not. I I get there's not a lot out there when you go shopping for quarterbacks right now. There's just not a lot of like out, not a lot of good ones out there. And it shocked the hell out of me. The Colts didn't sign Bridgewater and they went with Rivers. I really thought Bridgewater was going to fit that system there and be, be their guy. And they let him go to the Carolina Panthers, which shocked the hell out of me. Um, I mean, when, when but, Stephon Diggs wanted out in Minnesota, I think that tells you something. I love what Justin Jefferson's doing for them right now. Uh, I think he's, he's a tremendously talented guy, but. You know, that, that kind of raised some alarm bells when they kind of had to make that situation go away because he's a, you know, he's, he's definitely one of the top seven or eight receivers in the NFL. So uh, they could certainly use him right now. But, uh, you know, and, and it's unfortunate with what 
you know, to me, the bigger problem in Houston wasn't Bill O'Brien, the coach. It was Bill O'Brien, the de facto GM, right? And yeah. the way he kind of gutted that roster, letting DeAndre Hopkins go and taking on more salary to do it. It, you know, um, the way he constructed that team was so, so flawed. I would have thought he would have learned something from Belichick, but clearly he hadn't. So it's hard to be all all encompassing. I mean, everybody wants to shop for the groceries as well as cook them, but it, you know what's much easier? Working with the shopper and letting them pick the groceries for you and go find the market ones for you because they got more time to do it. And then that's just the way it is. Atlanta is is one that I was waiting last year to blow up, and then they finally blew up this year. It'll be interesting to see what happens, who fills some holes there as far as GM head coach. But I think that could be a plum job for someone because that owner is one that is patient. That owner is one that is shown that he will stick with his guys once he makes a pick. So, yeah, and yeah. no, I agree with you. And, you know, they've got a decision to make with Matt Ryan, right? Like, what do they want to do there? Because as bad as it's looking right now, I mean, you know, Ryan is, has been around for a while now. You could certainly make the case to move on from him uh, at this stage because you're going to fully rebuild. And they're in, they're in position to tank for Trevor, right? And, or Justin Fields, right? And if, if you wind up in, in that scenario – uh, you know, you give me that choice. I, I would make that decision and go quarterback. I mean, if look, if if a team could move on from Peyton Manning, you can move on from Matt Ryan. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. That's not that's that's not even a debate. <laughs> but thank you again for coming on tonight. We really appreciate you being here. Um, what can what can we do to support you and what you do? Because you're already at the big dog. <laughs> Listen, we we got to we got to get you back with a team. All I the only advice I'm going to give you is when you do your next interview, don't wear the outfit. Oh, oh come, come on. on! It's, it's the, the Halloween, Halloween show. show. You got to be It's, it's the, the Halloween show. I, I understand. Much love, my friend. Thanks for having me because uh, you're great at what you do, and I'm I'm always enjoying talking to you. I appreciate it, Farhan, and your support means everything to me. Thank you so much, my friend. All right, take care. Good meeting you, Ryan. We'll talk again. You too, Farhan. Have a great one. We are going to get into this Halloween special. Before we do, we here at Maverick Sports Consulting would like to remind you, we are hosting a free seminar this Thursday night at 7.30 Pacific Time, 7.30 Eastern Time, which is called Creating and Controlling Your Social Media Footprint. History has shown us at Maverick Sports that athletes of all ages, their families, and friends often make poor decisions when it comes to social media. We are here to design a roadmap to keep you from those potholes and dangerous turns so you do not get in your own way of success. Use our expert level services and pairings with Doug Douglas Digital to maximize your social media footprint. Join our mailing list on Twitter at Mav underscore sports to receive the link to the Zoom meeting. Don't forget it's free. A free seminar this Thursday night, 4.30 Pacific time, 7.30 Eastern time. Why would you pass this opportunity up? We have Keon in the comment section, loving the costume. Keon, question for you. You have to answer this. You have to answer this unbiasedly. Who's got the better costume? Throw it out there. Starting yeah. off into Halloween section of tonight, David. Oh, man. These topics are going to be a little bit of fun. We're going to have a good time tonight. We're going to start you off with best quarterback and skill, um, skill position pairing as far as costumes. David, do you want to phrase this one to start and then maybe we could rotate here? I think that might be a good way to do it. Yeah. So, okay. What we're looking for is we're going to take a couple quarterback and and uh, receiver or skill position people, and we're going to say what the best costumes would be. So the first one up is Brady and Gronk, and I picked 
they would be a good Woody and Buzz from Toy Story. Where Tom would be a good Woody and Gronk would be a good Buzz. It's okay. Sorry. Right. What do you mean it's know. okay? I don't know. It's all right. I, I got a better one for you, though, Dave. You ready for this one? Yeah. I'm talking Kyler Murray. I'm talking Larry Fitzgerald. And I'm talking DeAndre Hopkins for these three. Have you ever seen Goodfellas? Tell me you have. Oh, Tell me uh, you have. Uh, once or twice. Once or twice. Okay. So we have Joe Pesci. We have Robert De Niro. And we have Ray Liotta. Who's the small guy of the group? Kyler Murray. We got you with Joe Pesci, baby. That is the threesome that I'm talking about tonight. If you haven't seen Goodfellas, one of the best movies of all time, I don't know what you're doing with your life. You got another one for me? Well, I'm going to jump down and do uh, Drew Brees and uh, Thomas, okay? Michael Thomas. And here, I'm going to I'm going to you're going to have to dig in on this one, right? Okay. Alice and the Chestnut Cat. Explain it to me. Okay, because Alice is in Wonderland and he's trying to like she's trying to figure out what's going on. And with Michael Thomas, like his, you know, he's kind of invisible. He's still got that smile on his face. His tweets are cryptic, just like the Chester cat, whatever he says is cryptic. But you got, you know, he's, he's in, he's out. He's got a hamstring. He's got a knee. Where is this guy the whole season? So he's kind of like, he's there. He's not there. He's cryptic. He's there. And then you got Alice running through, uh, Wonderland trying to figure out which way to go. Okay, well, we have the live comment section, so if anybody hates David's picks, put it in the chat as well if you don't have any questions. Are taking live questions all night. You ready for this one, David? This one's a good one. I'm telling you right now. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are currently tearing up the NFL. Absolutely tearing it up. So you know what they're going for Halloween as? They're going as Montana and Jerry Rice. Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, they're doing a little throwback, baby, because there's no better connection in the NFL right now than Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. You like that one? Well, listen here. There are a better combination. It's Russell Wilson and Matt and Metcalf. Right, right now, you got Russell Wilson and Metcalf. They're going as Bumblebee and Sky and Starscream. Okay, we're going right to the Transformers. You got Russell Wilson as Bumblebee, and we got Metcalf, DJ Get Metcalf, as Starscream. I'm glad you explained that to me because I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> you you got to go back to the 80s or 90s, baby, and get them, get them uh, old school Transformers out. All right, well, if, if you guys love that so much, we're going to take it a little deeper here. Best player or coach costumes. So we're going individual. We don't have pairings here. Okay. So let me start out with, I'm looking at this Bill Belichick. He's got to be someone we need to talk about, right? Let's think about it. Um, Bill Belichick, if he was going for Halloween, who's somebody that's like super just standoffish, does whatever he wants. Oh man. I'm going to say, can he just go as his hoodie for Halloween? Like, does he just not have a personality? It's just the hoodie. Uh, I think Bill Belichick would be a good Dracula. You know, Dracula. I, I think he would be a good Dracula. He's already got the skin tone for it. You know, he's yes. a guy that, you know, he, he can walk into a room and chill it to the bone. So, you know, I think to me, I like Bill. I think he's fun and everything. But I think if you're dressing him up, he would make a good Dracula. I was going to say maybe you're Dracula because you're always in the film room, baby. You don't leave. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Keon in the comments says, Buda Baker and Pat Peterson, Patrick Peterson, SpongeBob and Patrick, they are wrecking havoc in the secondary 
for Arizona right now. You like that one, David? Keon threw a pretty good one in there. You know, I'm not a SpongeBob fan, but I appreciate the comment. I do like where he's going with that because you know what? They are having a very good season this year. And that game they did the other night cost me a bet with those two, uh, causing havoc on the Seattle, especially late in the game. You know, my next one up though is Cam Newton. Cam Newton to me, he's Beetlejuice. You got Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So he's a guy that you know what? He, he He's going to run. He's going to try to throw. But you got to say his name three times before he's effective at all. So, you know, I got Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice for Cam Newton. I like that one. Thank, I, I like it. I like it. It's not too bad. I feel like you can go so many different ways with Cam with how, with how he dresses. <laughs> like you can just pick one of his styles and be like, that's this miscellaneous person. I'm going this one because you know that I'm an L.A. Rams fan, right? So I'm giving a shout-out right now to Coach Sean McVay. He's a genius, okay? So who is he going to be other than Albert Einstein? He's coming as probably the smartest man to ever live. What would we be doing right now in the science world without Albert Einstein? Kind of like Sean McVay. He's a revolutionary at what he does. David, throw me out another good one, man. Your best one on the list. What you got? Ooh, I don't know if it's the best one, but I like it. It's it's um it's uh another LA Ram Comp Cooper was it Cooper Comp? Comp Cooper Comp Casper the Friendly Ghost. Why is that? Because you know what? This is a guy you don't even see him coming and he catches the ball, and the next thing you know, he's through your defensive wall and scoring a touchdown. He's just in and he's out. He's through your defense. He's little, he's subtle. I think Casper the friendly ghost fits him perfect. Okay. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's like, it's like, um, yeah. No, I like it. I like it. Wasn't wasn't there a no, no, back in the day, wasn't there a an old football player that they used to call the ghost? Oh, you know what I'm thinking of? Have you ever seen that football movie where, um, where, God, I'm tripping over myself right now, but um, darn, what's the actor's name? Dennis Quaid. Dennis, Dennis Quaid, Quaid plays the running back? Run, yeah, Gavin Gray, and they called him the Gray Ghost. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, I've seen that movie. Uh, okay. That, that's I don't know why that's popped into my head, but there it was. Next one I got, and this is probably the best one I'm going to have all, all night, okay? All night. I'm telling you this right now. I'm talking fast because this one gets me so excited, okay? I'm going Doug Marone here, the coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I was going to say that I was going to make him an unemployment line, but I'm going to be nice. Oh, and my I God. Say, uh, he's going to go, and, and this is kind of a dual pairing to a degree. He's going as Halloween as Adam Gase, and Adam Gase is going as him. So, they're, you know, who, ca- who cares? They both stink. They're both the same person, right? Am I right? Am I right, David? Oh my gosh. No, I, you know what? I got to boo you on that one. That's a, that's a ghost move on that one. Doug Marone is, you know, what is he? He's a high school history teacher. That's what he is. You know, you just give him a piece of chalk and let him go to the board and draw it up. He, you know, that's what he can do. Taking it to the field, whole different ball game. Taking it to the locker room, whole different ball game. But you take him to the board, he can do that. I give him respect. He can do that. But a high school history teacher is more Doug Marone. My next one up is Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Matt, over here, when you look at him, I'm sorry, but when you look at him, he looks like a pencil with an eraser on his head. I love the guy. He's smart. He's he's charismatic to, to the room. But when you look at his picture, he just looks like a pencil with an eraser on the top of his head. So, you know what? I'm going to send him to Halloween trick-or-treating as a pencil. 
You know, I was going to say that he was a um, FBI agent because he's he's actually an imposter in disguise. But is is that too mean? I don't know if that was mean. Wow, he's got his team rolling, and you're calling him an imposter in disguise. Aaron Rodgers says that team rolling. Let's be honest here, David. So David wrote down one for Khalil Mack, but I'm going off the top of my head here because that's how we roll a little freestyle action. I'm going to go Khalil Mack here as the Incredible Hulk. It's a little predictable, but I will say that dude, man, just watching him last night, he's got that forklift move, you know, converting speed to power. It's it, He looks like just like a nice guy off the field, and then he gets on there, and I think that he completely transforms. So I'm throwing out Well, that's that why I called him a Mack. werewolf. Because a werewolf, he he changes when the moon hits, when the ball snaps and he's between the line, he changes and he's just a beast when he's in between those lines. But when he comes off the field, he's a nice guy and he's just, you know, he's just kind of, you know, relaxed and, and not, not too, not too angry. But when he gets on that field, he just, that he's like a werewolf that, that moon hits and he shape shifts. Woo, baby. Okay, and we have a Hal. Is there an Al Davis Hal? Is that too hard? No, no, there, there's no Al Davis <laughs> Hal. <laughs> We're howling on this Halloween edition. Again, if you are following us live on Twitter, on YouTube, on Twitch, wherever you're following us, taking live questions, NFL draft, college football, NFL, business, Halloween, whatever. Somebody ask me what my favorite candy is. Someone do it. Come on. Let's get this. Let's get this comment. Section. If you say we'll candy corn, I'm never doing a show with you again. Oh no, that's Joe DeLeon, dude. I don't do the candy corn. That is the worst candy in, in the history of invention. I don't care what anybody tells me. I am. I'm never going to eat a piece of candy corn again in my life. If my future daughter's like, Dad, look, candy corn. I'm going to pretend to eat it and then throw it on the ground because that's not going into my mouth. I hate candy corn. All right, we're, we're getting off on tangent. It's fine, David. Here, ready. We're going. We're going off on tangents because it's a Halloween special. We're going to do what we do. Favorite Halloween candy and least favorite Halloween candy. Let me hear your picks. Ooh, you know what I always was like well, hoping I would get would be like the big, the big like Snickers bar or something. On I remember one time in high school we were trick or treating. We went up to John Madden's house. This guy had king size candy bars left and right. And I was just like, oh, I want that Snickers bar. I just wanted that huge king size Snickers bar. That did, was the one I always let, look did, forward to. Did he let people come up to his house? Like he oh, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't home because he was doing a game, but his wife would answer the door. He had the seven man sled out in the front yard. You could walk up and just, you know, trick or treat at his house. His wife was great. Uh, his son was home and they just talked to us for a few minutes and we're all a bunch of high school football players just, you know, going around as high school kids do. And, um, and it was fun. It was really fun to see that seven man sled. And then later in my career, I actually was working for the Dolphins. I met him for the first time. And then uh, when I was at the Raiders, obviously, I met him a few times and got to talk to him. And I shared that experience with him. And he would laugh. He's like, yeah, my wife always made sure we had them big king-size Snickers bars. And then I'd come home and have to clean up their extra ones because they'd just be laying around the house all the time. And then what am I going to do, not snack on them? Of course I'm going to snack on them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, I I would just assume that that, that house would just be – like roped off, it'd be a big gate around it, it would not open. You would need like a password for that thing to open, like an open sesame type of thing. Well, he lives in a gated community, but uh, we got we 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 uh, we got in there. Let's just put it that way. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we're taking mailbag at the end, but at any point, if anybody wants to throw questions in here, it, no rules tonight. Ask me anything for Matt. We're talking Halloween edition. 
for the NFL right now specifically. Um, so let us jump into the next one. David, before we move on to the next one, did you um, did you have any other good ones for best player costumes that you wanted to throw out? Maybe like a last one. Last one I got is a Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, to me, he's so swollen everywhere. He's like the State Puff arm, uh, Marshmallow Man. I mean, this man's shoulders, his, his his legs, I mean, he's just so swollen everywhere. I mean, he's either the Michelin Man or he's the State Puff Marshmallow Man because he's so freaking big. As a running back, I just can't – I'm amazed about how he is. I mean, we could have went to other, other running backs, but for me, Nick Chubb's a, a running back on the up-and-come, and he's just the State Puff marshmallow man i like it we have a couple of questions in the chat now I'm bringing up alex question on the screen alec asks what's the go-to birthday dessert we're talking food tonight david turner it's oh my, my gosh today. you know what this is perfect for me perfect yes. question do you, you want to start it off then i gotta start this one off let's hear it so alec here we go this is this you might even know me this might be somebody who knows me asking this question since i was 10 years old i've gotten one birthday cake my whole life my ex-wife liked to get creative on my birthday cakes, and her and I would literally have fights because all I want is the same birthday cake I had since I was 10 years old. So about 35 years now, I've wanted the same birthday cake. It is a Baskin-Robbins chocolate cake with chocolate chip ice cream and chocolate frosting with a football theme on top. Don't change it. Don't worry. Don't worry if it's the same thing as you got in these last year. All I want is the chocolate chip ice cream, chocolate cake, chocolate outside with a football theme on top to make me happy. Wait, wait. So is that a fully ice cream cake then? Or is there like multiple elements to this? I'm there's cake. There's chocolate cake. Then on yeah. top, they put the, the the ice cream. And then on top of that, they put the the frosting. So when you cut into it. You have chocolate cake and chocolate chip ice cream already, and then you have a chocolate frosting on the outside. It's delicious. It's, I mean, it sounds good. I'm not going to lie. It sounds good. We're going from Halloween to football, obviously, right? And now we're talking desserts on birthday. I'll say my go-to. Ready? Two favorite desserts. So there, There's going to be there's going to be a reason that I'm saying two. Just trust me here. One, carrot cake. I love carrot cake. I think carrot cake is so delicious. No, no, David, just stay with me here. Stay with me. Second favorite um, would be a cheesecake. Okay? Can you get down some cheesecake? No? No? All right. Now, imagine in your mind. I know Alec is really enjoying what I'm saying here if you're not enjoying it. Now imagine a carrot cake with an inside layer that is a cheesecake. So we're talking carrot cake cheesecake. Yes? No? No, I don't like carrot cake or cheesecake. So therefore, it's a no on both. You're a child. You just like chocolate. I do. I just love chocolate. That is so true. That is a true statement. That is a true statement for sure. All right. Well, everyone out there, I apologize for my co-host bad tastes in classic desserts. Man, I'll tell you, for the longest time, I was like, carrot cake stinks. Right? I almost said sucks on the air. Whoops. Absolutely. Accidentally just did it again. So I used to was like. Carrot cake is for old people, right? But then I ate a carrot cake one time, and I'm like, mm, I can get down with some carrot cake, all right? All right, next question here. We got some questions in the chat. Yeah, I saw, um, I saw Jesse. Jesse, Ryan, what was your playing weight compared to now? Um, so my weight fluctuated a ton. Freshman year of high school, I was 180. Then I went to 232 pounds as a sophomore. 
Junior year, I cut to 215. And then senior season, I was 197 pounds. And then in college, I was right around the same. I was like 200 to 205 for the year I played. And now I am right around the same. I'm like 207, 208. But I'll say after I stopped playing, I ballooned in college. I was um, like, I got up to 250 pounds. I remember I went to a doctor's office one time and I got a checkup and I saw the scale for the first time hit 250. And I'm like, dude, no, that's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. So I went on a little diet. I got down to like 240. And then I met my wife who eats incredibly clean and then got the weight back down. At least I've been now, I think is right around like 202-ish. So weight's in, weight's, weight's in a pretty good spot right now. Definitely not in the um, physical peak that I was probably senior to college, but you know, still doing a little better. David, can you remember your playing weight? Because I know you pl- you played at De La Salle, right? I did. I was one of the smallest players ever to play at De La Salle, not only height wise but weight wise. So I was like, I don't think I ever topped one forty five. I think it was one forty five at my senior, maybe one fifty if I was lucky. I, in the program though, I was one sixty five and I was five six, but I didn't ever make five six either. So. <laughs> but when I was powerlifting, I was a powerlifter. Um, my first weight class, I was 147, and then I moved up to 165s, and that's where I set national records and stuff was at those weights. I love it. I love it. I, that just made me think of like how rosters are so false sometimes because I remember my senior year, I was like, I'm like 5'11", like a little, a hair over 5'11", and I was like 197. And the, the program listed me at six foot one, 225 pounds, hulked out. You know what I mean? So uh, just funny. Is, is there anyone that comes to mind for you, David? Because you mentioned like yours was obviously not truthful. Was there ever a player where you like saw a roster or something and then you went to go on a visit and you're like, bro, that is the worst. That is not the right weight, even slightly. Any D2 school in Kansas, any, any, <laughs> it was never, I would walk in, they tell me a guy was like, you know, 5'11", 222, and I would walk in and be looking him in the eye, and he was like a buck 20, or, you know, I was just like, dude, come on. Like, you're just killing your credibility with me right now, coach, by telling me that this guy is your best player, and this, well, you wouldn't have come if I didn't, if I told you truthfully. Well, you're right, I shouldn't be here. Because he's not an NFL player, <laughs> you know. So yeah, no, there were some truthful conversations I had with uh, coaches in Kansas about trying to get NFL attention to their programs because they just asked for you to be on the road way too much, and then you'd show up and they did not have have the talent that they that they said they did. That's re- that's really funny. I can't even imagine. I, I look forward to one of those meetings so bad. Just like. Buddy. <laughs> oh, you want to hear a good conversation on this one? Yeah, let me hear it. <laughs> this one made a lot of my buddies cringe when I actually did this. But that's just who I am. I had a um I had a coach tell me he had five prospects for NFL players. And I looked up his record and they had five wins. And I said, Coach, if you have five NFL prospects that I should come look at and you only have five wins, you should be fired. What what level was this? This was uh you know NAIA type school. Got it. Yeah, that's. And he's like, "Don't talk to me that way." I'm like, "Well, you're gonna waste my time, so I might as well offend you because you just offended me." I was like, "You know, you're gonna tell me that I gotta come in here and spend two to four hours on every player, write them up, reject them, put the whole report in, and reject them because you're offering them up to me to do." And 
not one of them is going to measure out if only one of them will measure out, which ultimately you're going to cost me 20 hours of my work week when you really just need to cost me one. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I like that. I, did you see it? Jesse in the chat said that uh, carrot cake cheesecake is delicious and you're wrong. I just want yeah, well, to you know, real quick. There's no account for good taste. And obviously you and Jesse just have bad taste and that's fine. That's fine. It's okay. You guys having bad taste. I agree. You know, it's America. Everybody can have whatever taste they want. It's the land of the free home of the brave. You're brave enough to eat carrot cake and cheesecake together. God help your guts. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, David, just because we we don't have taste buds of a three-year-old doesn't mean that you can just come out and insult us right now. Well, I'm as tall as a three-year-old and might as well have the taste buds too. Fair enough. It's fair enough. We th- we, again, we thank the chat so much. We got thrown off on a tangent there because we're getting so many great questions. Throw as many in as possible. We are here to answer you. Next topic. We're staying with the Halloween theme. David, let's start NFL here to begin, okay? What is the scariest offense right now in the NFL for you? Scariest offense for me right now, I would – I mean – the most complete offense that I'm watching between run, pass, play action stuff, screen game, it, it really is the Green Bay Packers. Like they so. really they they to me are are clicking, they're gelling, they have they have a good balance. Um, you know, right behind them is the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then I think right behind that on the on the come is is um it's probably Tampa Bay. I know a lot of people in this question or in the chat room might be like, what about Arizona? What about Seattle? I love both our offenses, but I think both of them are, are one-sided pass heavy, and neither one of them has a strong run game. And now with Drake getting hurt for the Cardinals, I don't know what that run game is really going to look like. Oh, man. See, see when, I, when I saw that question, I was like, Kansas City Chiefs, man? Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine trapping to cover Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and then you have those running backs, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Oh, and hey, he comes out of the game. Here comes Le'Veon Bell with the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, that is some scary stuff for me. I don't know. That's a good pick. That's a good pick, too. Like, I like they, like they when we had Farhan on earlier, when you're listening to this, you know, he said that, you know, there's if it used to be the best, the defense wins championships right now. It's if you can outscore your opponent. That's what's going to win this year in 2020. And there's a lot of, you know, stacked offenses that are that are definitely you know pushing the envelope and becoming scarier and scarier. So let's move to college football because we all agree that Saturdays are much better than Sundays. At least again in my household, I would agree with that. I'll start this one out first. What is the scariest offense in college football? My, my so I'm a defensive guy, so my mind is saying. What is the offense that I would hate to face? The offense that would give me headaches, that would keep me up at night. I'm thinking here, running back, wide receivers, the ability to maybe stress the defense laterally so that that box is a little light, maybe some good offensive linemen, a solid quarterback, University of Alabama. That's what that's like really possible. Even with Jalen Waddle out, still having Devonta Smith, still having John Mechie. And then having Najee Harris at running back with a couple NFLers up in the in the um, in the front five for the offensive line, I think Alabama would just be a headache to deal with. David, are you with me or are you with me? I'm not with you on this. You know where I'm going. I'm going them Cle- the Clemson Tigers. 
you know, and and right behind them, the Ohio State University. What we saw they do up there to Nebraska. I mean, Fields came out and th- nearly threw a perfect game last week. But down there, my boy ATN, who I love, who I picked to win the Heisman, he is balancing out that Clemson offense really well. He is making it a dual threat possibility where you can't just sit back in zone coverage or he's going to run down your throat. So, you know, I like them, them, uh, those uh, Clemson Tigers a lot. I like what they're doing on offense. The play caller is really creative. So that's where I'm at with the most, the scariest offense right now in college football. See, for me, it would be my second choice would be Ohio State. I think that dual threaded quarterback, those wide receivers, that is a deep wide receiver unit. They have a couple nice running backs. That center right guard um, duo that they have there in Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, like for me, that is that's the duo to have. So that would be my pick if we're if we're looking just. Um, just at the skill position combined with a little offensive line. We want to go to the most invisible defense in the NFL and college football. But let's start with the NFL, David. What's the most invisible defense that you have seen this season so far? The New York football giants. Like, I know people would have thought I was going to say the Jets, but I'll say this. The Jets have given up less points than the New York football giants. I think the football giants are leading the league in points against this year. Um, if not, they're in second. It's, uh, it's a situation where they, they just have trouble stopping anybody. They, they, they played with heart the first four or five games. They got blown out, you know, several times and they, they're fighting. They're tough, but they just don't have the horses to play. And I think the New York football giants have the most invisible defense right now defense david i'd see somebody put it in here Les skeleton put it in it's got to be the dallas cowboys man is there a worse defense right now in the nfl and dallas cowboys the second team i would pick though and this is a close one jacksonville jaguars that defense is bad i think did they i think they're about to set a record for most consecutive 30 point games given up or something so dallas cowboys i think jacksonville jaguars is second on that list for me anyway yeah, I picked the I picked the Giants. I thought their defense is I think they're second with first or second with points against. I mean, they're 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 stinking up the joint right now. Yeah, no, no, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, yeah, we had the we we had we had somebody throw in the Cowboys, so I like that one less. Oh, that's um, less. Yeah, that's my boy. That's my guy. We have, we have Alec asking, and I'm gonna ask you for this, David, because I've seen this comparison thrown out a little bit. Is an ETN Alvin Kamara comparison fair? I think ATN's bigger and runs stronger than Kamara. I think Kamara's quicker and a better uh, receiver out of the backfield. Um, he he can play slot receiver for you, whereas ATN is just a running back. So, you know, I don't know if that's the comparison I would make. Um, you know, with ATN, the way he runs the ball, you, you know, I think you're more like um, – Gosh, I can't, get a, I can't get a good one for him. I'm, I'm like, give me a brain. minute. I really can't think of a good one. Give me a minute. I'll come up with one. I He's got like a Chris it. Johnson to him a little bit, but he runs so much harder than Chris Johnson. You know, he's got that speed element, though. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm thinking, holding on. I'll get it. All right. While David's thinking, we thank you all for throwing in some comments in the section. Keep them coming tonight, baby. If we make this an all-question-and-answer segment, I am good with that. The next one we want to talk with, as David is frantically Googling, 
right now is the um, masquerading. Well, actually, do we do NCAA? No, we didn't. Sorry. College football defense. Okay, David, the invisible defense. We did NFL. I'll take the college football to start here. Worst defense I have seen. And it might just be the worst team I've seen, honestly. At least I'm talking from a power five level. Kansas Jayhawks are terrible. <laughs> They're so bad. They are really, really bad. If we're talking about a team that's more like considered near the top in some respect, I guess the LSU Tigers, right? Like their defense is Swiss cheese right now. It's really bad. Um, any ones that maybe I'm missing there, David, or are there are a couple defenses that might stand out from a college football perspective. Anyone, Anyone that, plays that plays in the Big Ten. <laughs> Big 12? Big 12, sorry. Yeah. I'm about to say, Big 10 plays some defense, baby. You're, you're talking about the wrong conference. No, there. Big 12. I mean, I mean, if you, I mean, it's a shootout every week with Texas, Texas Tech, you know, K-State, Kansas. I mean, they, they, the whole conference is invisible. They don't have any defenses in that conference. That's really funny. That's really – yeah, no, it's, it's – so usually – TCU plays some solid defense. Maybe Kansas State thrown in there. Like that conference in general, though, like Oklahoma. Oklahoma State's defense is okay this year. They have a couple guys at safety that are NFLers. They have a corner. That's Greedy Williams' brother, Rodarius Williams, who can play a little bit. So they got some pieces. But like watching Oklahoma play defense, watching Kansas play defense, there's some that are really, really bad. Les, throwing up a question here, David. Thank you, Les, for, for contributing a question. Who has the best home field advantage with the stadiums being empty or limited in fans? That's a great question. Um, does anybody have a home field advantage if they don't have fans in the stands? I don't know. Well, you know, if you're talking about ones that do have fans in the stands, you got to go with Dallas because you know what? Dallas has been allowing about 25,000 people into their stadiums, you know, and that's the biggest crowd out of any crowd being allowed into stadiums. I think the biggest Achilles and where people are happy that it's not happening is up in Seattle because the yep. 12th man has been completely gutted and taken out of that scenario. That crowd noise up there is gone. Um, you still go into Kansas City and they have fans there. So, you know, that still helps the Chief. It's nowhere near what what the Arrowhead should be and how, how well it sh- or should be rocking in there. But, you know, the advantage, I think, are for a guest going into Seattle and not having to deal with that crowd noise. That is an advantage for people. That's no home field advantage. That's an advantage for the visiting team up in Seattle these days. I I, th- I think that if so, if we're taking the fan the fan side of home field advantage out of it, then my next thought is the weather, the elements, the natural elements there. I think when we get start getting you know a little further into winter here, Green Bay. I mean, still that cold game up in Green Bay, like that cannot be easy for some teams. Thinking about some some teams maybe from the West Coast or just in, in a little bit of a hotter environment going up to Lambeau, like that's got to be a little bit of an advantage, I would think, still, right? Yeah, I think the weather is going to play the more than the fans. You know, just for the question, I was like, you know, for a question, I was just like, you know, without having the fans in Seattle, that's a huge advantage for – for so many, for so many people that go up there, because those crowd, that crowd noise really knocks a lot of offenses out of the game there. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and we want to c- touch one more before we get into the pickums and maybe a little bit of the mailbag. Still waiting on a few more questions. We're answering some here though, which is awesome. Thank you all so much for contributing to those questions. Continue to do that because if we don't really like some of the mailbag questions we get, we can always um, 
shuffle those into the fold at the end as well. Some more of these questions. Last one, who is masquerading as a contender right now in the National Football League? I would have said before last night that it was the Chicago Bears, but I think we're really starting to see the Chicago Bears are not a very good team. That was the most hollow 5-1 and one team, now 5-2 and two team I've ever seen. That offense is pathetic. They're not going to be able to score with teams. You know, like our guest talked about a little bit, defense used to win championships. It's not that way anymore. Offense needs to – you need an offense to win championships. So my answer would be the Chicago Bears – it was probably more a pre-24-10 loss to the L.A. Rams last night. But, you know, just a team that, for my, for my opinion, 5-2, and two, that's not a 5-2 and two football team. No, you know, I think the, the best masquerading team right now, like, in my opinion, are you ready? I'm listening. It's the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans, to me, like, I don't think they're going to really end up being a contender – and maybe I'm wrong. I doubt I am. I just think that they're going to end up hitting a wall there in the playoffs, and they're going to get shown the door early. David Turner wrong? That's never happened before, right? And you know the comparison on ATN? The comparison on ATN is Shady McCoy. That's the one. He's 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 more a Shady McCoy than he is uh, uh, anyone else. Ah, oh, man. I, I see, like – Shady was like stupid jump cut lateral guy. I consider ETN like one cut, get downhill, but then he's got that stupid speed once he breaks to the second and third level. I don't know if I like that one, David. Your, some of your comps are pretty good. I don't know if I like that one too much. Uh, I'm not here for your approval. I'm just here for your support. <laughs> that, that, that's a solid enough point. <laughs> College football team masquerading as a contender. Oh, man, this, might, this one might hurt me, David. Let me hear who you have. I have one that's going to cut you to the bone. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. It hurts me too, but when I watch them play, they just don't have the heart. That's the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. After their 45-3 to victory over Pitt, you're not buying it, David? No, I'm not buying them. I'm not buying them right now. Not at all. Because the quarterback, right? Ian Book? We got Ian Book slander on here? I love the offensive line. I love aspects of their linebackers, but I don't feel they're a complete team. And I don't think you're right. I don't think that quarterback's going to, when they go up against a really good team like an Alabama, from what I've been watching Alabama do, or that Ohio State defense, I just think he's going to struggle. Okay. That's fair. And the game I'm watching, I'm eyeballing, I believe, is the uh, Notre Dame UNC game in a couple weeks because I want to see how they play against UNC. Well, two weeks from now, they play Clemson. That's oh, yeah, that's big, another good one, too. Yeah, Big one. Yep, they have, they have a tough stretch coming up here for sure. I, I thought that one might come from you, uh, to be honest, because, you know, Notre Dame has been spotty. I'm not, I haven't bought into it. Are they the fourth best team in college football like they're ranked? Probably not right now. So I don't blame you for that one. A team that I have that had a really impressive first game, Big Ten returning, I think Michigan, like – Michigan's defense is good. Both defensive ends, Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay, are good football players. Going to be pretty high round picks there. Um, they got some dudes, Daxton Hill, young kid at safety. Like there's some pieces there that I really like. Um, their linebacker is is an excellent football player, number 44. Names escaping me at the moment. Really good player though. I, I I'm just not buying into that offense, man. Like they have a good right tackle that I like a bunch, Jalen Mayfield. Very good football player. First year starting quarterback. I know Joe Milton had a good first game, but I'm just not buying into that passing game being enough to compete with the Ohio States of the world. So, um, yeah, 
I'm going to sell Michigan for now. Another question before we get into our pickums, draft guy Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy, for popping in. Who is the scariest NFL rookie right now? Scary NFL rookie. That's a great question, Jimmy. Um, I mean, I guess the guy that I hate to go against, right? Well, okay, scariest rookie. I got it. It's got to be Chase Young, right? Like, no, I thought no? you were going to be right with me on this one. What? Well, who are you going to say? Burrow. The man's on pace to break Peyton Manning's rookie year uh, passing record. I mean, this is a kid that has kept them in games they don't belong in any which way about it. That Browns game was a tick away from a win. And th- and this is a kid who's thrown so many. This is a rookie they're asking to drop back and throw like 40 times a game. He's answering the challenge. He's answering the bell. And he's looking fantastic at doing it. I would be the most scared to go up against him over any other rookie right now. Man, I'm just thinking like that size and speed combination, though. They, I mean, they call him the predator for a reason, right? Like if I'm an offensive tackle and I look over at Chase Young, I'm like, uh, this is probably going to be a little not too much fun of a day. I don't know. I don't no, know. No, I'm I with know. you. You know, I love Chase Young. You know, I, I think I think I, I if we rewind the tape, I think I picked him to be the defensive rookie of the year. You know, I, I'm all about it. But the way Burrow's playing right now, man, I got to give that boy credit because there is not much around him and he is making the most of it. Yeah, 400 yards and four touchdowns, and it's so funny. Like, everybody knows that he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, but everyone just attacks the arm strength instead. Like, after throwing for 400 yards and four touchdowns, putting your team in a position to win, everybody's like, oh, but, man, that last throw, look at that arm. That arm's awful. I'm just like, come on, man. Seriously. He threw, like, yeah, he's okay. thrown over 40 times, I want to say, in, in the first seven games. He's been over 40 times five times. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, come on. He's never had to do that in college. Uh, Keon said Javon Kinlaw. Kinlaw's been pretty good so far for San Francisco. He's a big man. I, I get that one a little bit. Alec question here. Different take on it. Scariest rookie is Andrew Thomas because I'm afraid he is a bust. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that, that is a good one, Alec. I like that. How, how about this? Scariest rookie. I'm scared. That Tua Tagovailoa is going to, about to face Aaron Donald in his first start ever. That's a scary assignment to say the least. Um, all right. So <laughs> before we get to our pickums, are you curious what good offensive pl- tackle play looks like? Do you want to take the, do you want to know why tackles are so valuable, especially left tackle position? This week on Friday Night Scout School, we are covering offensive tackle play by scouting film on Ronnie Stanley coming out of Notre Dame and Tristan Wirfs out of the University of Iowa. Sign now, uh, sign up today at NFLDraftBible.com. Buy the season pass, but at worst, come join us this Friday, 9 Eastern time, to break down some offensive tackle play. Should be a ton of fun. Our third take of the night, NFL pickums, college football pickums. We're going to start with NFL here um, in a little bit of reverse order, we usually go college football to start. We're also going to be taking questions live here on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Twitch. So if anybody wants to throw in another question, please feel free at any time. Start NFL picks. Chicago Bears, the 5-2 and two Chicago Bears, taking on the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans, four-point favorites. 44 is the over-under on this game. Uh, David. The New Orleans Saints have been ravaged with a little bit of injury. Michael Thomas, is he ever playing again? I'm not really sure about what's going on with that guy, man. After punching Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he's been out for a while with a a leg injury, working his way back. 
Um, it sounds like he's not going to be ready for this game either. So Chicago Bears are four-point underdogs here against New Orleans. What's your pulse on this game? Well, after watching the game last night, I think the New Orleans defense is going to pair up pretty well against the Bears offense. So I can see why Vegas is leaning this way a little bit. I would say, I would say though, with the the trouble that New Orleans is is having on offense without Thomas being in there, that that defense is going to be a lot of trouble for their offense. And when we've seen the the Saints lose this this year, we're seeing that it's the pressure on Drew Brees and him not having the weapons around him, and that's going to be the case this week. Here, I am picking the upset. I'm picking Chicago to beat New Orleans outright, and I do believe it's going to be an over on the on the points. Oh, man, David, David's taking some crazy pills tonight. He's actually dressed up for Halloween as a crazy person. Give me the New Orleans Saints to cover. That over-under, I'm going to go over as well on that 44. Give me New Orleans and the over in that game. San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks. Seattle is a three-point favorite after coming off of their loss to Arizona here. Over under 54. I'll start this one. I will say that the Seattle Seahawks is fresh off a loss. They're going to be hungry to come back and get into that win column. That division right now has Arizona Cardinals and the Los Angeles Rams breathing down their neck, both at five and two. They don't want to let that that box get opened up where they're in a three-horse race this early in the season. They want to get as much momentum and as much distance on the other two as possible here. I want to say Russell has a big game here going the over because I think San Francisco is going to be able to score a little bit on that Seattle defense, which is not good, but I'm going to take Seattle to cover. And again, I'm going to take the over for this one. Let Russ cook. What's your, what's your take, David? Well, you know, Russ is my pick for MVP and I do think he's going to have a good game. What I saw out of the, the San Francisco 49ers in New England last week, where they were able to get back, commit to the run game, control the clock, and really be able to um, do what pro, pro offenses are supposed to do, which is keep the other offense off the field. If they do the same thing here and Russ is on the sideline and they don't go out and score too quick like Todd Gurley did there at the end of the game, you got to keep that offense on the f- off the field, commit to the run game, play action, and um, just kind of get into 10 play drives this way. Russ is on the sideline the whole time. Can't come out and just light it up on you. I think the San Francisco uh, 49ers have a really good shot at winning this game. I, at this though, I'm going to pick Seattle. I'm going to pick the over, but I really would not be surprised if the Niners come out winning this game. I think it's going to be a pretty underrated game. I think it's going to be back and forth a little bit. I think Seattle is just going to be able to ride some fourth quarter momentum there. The game of the week has to be. People have been clamoring. Let us flex this game to the month, to this Sunday night game so we don't have to watch the Philadelphia Eagles play in prime time. We don't have to watch that dumpster fire that's happening right now is that Monday night game. So they want the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Baltimore Ravens to be the primetime game on Sunday night football. Three and a half point favorites, the Baltimore Ravens, 47 over under. David, I'm having a h- tough time getting a pulse on this game. What? You start, you start. What are you thinking? Well, you know, when I look at this game, my, my gut goes right to Pittsburgh. Goes right to Pittsburgh because that defense, I'm a huge believer in their defense, what they're doing, their ability to get pressure up and get upfield on the quarterbacks that they've played all year. They have tough ends to close up the outside running lanes. I mean, Dupree and, um, 
J J Watt or J T Watt, right? T J, uh, T J, come on, man. Well, the Watt brother, whatever his Watt Watt name is. <laughs> um, it's just they're they're so solid on the outside, and they're stout on the inside. This is a team that I think Lamar Jackson is going to have a hard time running on, and that's a big component of the of the Baltimore's of Baltimore's offense. So for me, I see Pittsburgh coming out because of the Pittsburgh defense and how they match up against Baltimore. Baltimore's defense is balling. Wink Martindale, Don Martindale there. He's got them frothed up, coming from all different angles. I'm very impressed with them too. I don't think this is going to be a 47-point game. I think it's an under. I think it's a last-minute field goal like last week at Tennessee. Pittsburgh comes out and wins. So I don't even know if it's a three-and-a-half. I mean, it's a three-point game basically. Yeah, so I'm definitely going under. I'm with you on that side. I'm taking Baltimore, though, even though I think three and a like three and a half is a low still, but like these teams are so neck and neck right now. I'm gonna take Baltimore because we haven't seen Baltimore really be the dominant football team in a couple weeks that we expected going into the season. We've seen flashes of it. I think Baltimore has a more complete game this week and they defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I'm still going the under because we're working off two good defenses there. Last NFL game we want to talk about, Los Angeles Rams fresh off a 24-10 victory against the Bears last night, which, if you watch that game, should not have been that close. (laughs) The Rams dominated that football game. They are coming in at, what is it, four-and-a-half-point favorite over the Miami Dolphins in Tua Tagovailoa's first start for the Miami Dolphins coming out of the bye week here. David, they've had... We, you know, a week, bye week here to prepare, bye week plus here to his first start. Miami had a couple straight wins, a couple nice victories, going facing off against Aaron Donald and these Los Angeles Rams. You know, I'm a Rams fan, so I'm going to sound biased. So I'm going to let you start here. What should we expect from this game? Well, you know what? Let's give some some credit to the Miami Dolphins defense. I mean, they are really balling right now. They're doing really a great job out there. The defense is really showing up, and he's got them throffing at pressuring the quarterback. They're intercepting passes. I mean, I really like what's going on in Miami on the defensive side of the ball. I didn't understand why they pulled, made the made the pull and put Tua in. You know, you're winning a couple games. You're in position in that division to you know maybe get a wild card, maybe even compete for the 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 whole thing, you know, with the Patriots being down and the Bills are, you know, you just beat the Bills who are in the lead, right? So you're right there. So why would you do this change right now? That doesn't make sense to me. Tua's first game, it's a lot on his shoulders coming out of a bye week. I think this is a game that the Rams are going to wind up going down, taking care of business, handling it pretty easily, to be honest with you. I think they're going to win by two or three touchdowns. And the 46 is, is going to get blown out of the water. It's going to be an over game. Well, I certainly hope you're right, David. I certainly hope And I, I think right. they're going to score one on special teams and one on defense. Not that the, the, the offense is just going to go down there and tear open this defense that I just praised. But it's a, they're going to score in different ways versus just on offense. Okay. Well, from a biased fan's perspective, I'm going Los Angeles Rams for the over four and a half. And I will take the over as well in that game. I'm taking a lot of overs this week. I, I think I made that a rule a couple weeks ago, right? Where I was like, hey, this crazy season, all this offensive explosions we're seeing, I'm just going to take the overs. So smashing the over here again, moving into some college football. The Big Ten made its return last week. We got Northwestern taking on the University of Iowa Hawkeyes. 
Two and a half point favorites going to Iowa here. 46 and a half. I will say, give me the under. I'm going. I'm going Northwestern in the upset, though, I think. I think I Why am. Are you? Yes, I think I am. Iowa, I don't know. I don't know. Offensively, like I like the running back Goodson a good bit. They have a young tight end named Sam Laporta that I think is gonna be the real deal. Um Smith Marset is a good football player at wide receiver. Like there's some nice pieces, but I, th- I think I'm going to go Northwestern here. Peyton Ramsey, they got a couple of nice defenders. Patty Fisher at linebacker, who's you know going to be on the NFL. He's been on the NFL radar, it seems like, forever now. So, yeah, give me Northwestern and give me the under in this game. I am so going to slash through that pick because I think Iowa is coming in. They, they need a statement game. They need to come in and win this one decisively right here. I'm a huge Iowa fan. I love what they do up there. I love how they run the ball. They go run pro style offense and they, they're big hog malas up front. So for me, give me Iowa. Give me everything. Give me the over. This is going to be an Iowa statement game right here. That was the most Dave Gettleman thing I've ever heard you say, David. All right. No, 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 no. We're modernizing this baby. We're modernizing this. Who, I don't even know who Iowa's quarterback is right now. I think it's Petrus, but I could I could be completely wrong. I think it's Spencer Petrus. Just I, call I, him I Winner. 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 Okay. Winner. Okay. Moving on to the next game. We see that one very differently. Texas Tech, Oklahoma. Speaking of no defense, 14 and a half point favorites going to Oklahoma, who seemed to right the ship a little bit this past game. Spencer Rattler at quarterback. Dynamic young Richard Freshman. 69 over under. I'm saying I'm smashing that over, David. What do you think, though, in terms of covering this game? Who's got the advantage? You know, I'm not a big Oklahoma guy this year. I just think that they, you know, you want to talk about Jekyll and Hyde team? This is my biggest Jekyll and Hyde team in football right now is Oklahoma. I've watched a couple Texas Tech games, and I think, you know what, they fight hard. I like what they have. I like their receivers there. I think this is going to be an upset special right here. Texas Tech beats Oklahoma in the over. Nah, nah, nah. I'm, I, I think Oklahoma's going to keep it rolling there. Oh. 14 and a half point favorites. I'm, I'm taking Oklahoma to cover this game. I hope they don't. I don't know. I don't know. That Texas Tech team, like. We'll see on Saturday, out. big boy. We got the Saturday uh, show to go to. Their, their quarterback's out. You know, Alan Bowman. I know Henry Columbia's done a pretty solid job in his stay, but, like, I don't know. I think Oklahoma's just got a little too much. Next game, Wisconsin versus Nebraska. David, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I did not see a line on this game. 48-and-a-half over under. I think that it's because Wisconsin has a terrible situation going on right now. They are down their top three quarterbacks now. Jack Cohn before the season. Um, They have a young gun. That, uh, that had an incredible first start in Graham Mertz, and he is now out with COVID, expected to be out for three weeks. Their other quarterback, Wolf, is now also out for this game. So they're down to their fourth-string quarterback. So I'm assuming that I got Wisconsin Nebraska probably- plus three. Nebraska plus three. Okay. All right. So Wisconsin's still three-point favorites. That's holding even with their fourth-string quarterback in. That's interesting. Um Man, Nebraska's not that good, uh, but Wisconsin's not great. Weren't you the one that picked Nebraska to beat Ohio State? No, I didn't. I picked them to cover. I did not pick them to win. You you liar. Do not slander <laughs> that guy, David. I would never have said that. I'll, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Wisconsin, though, here, even with fourth-string quarterback. Uh, 
Even with a fourth-rated quarterback, they have, they have several guys in that offensive line. Logan Bruss, right tackle. Josh Seltzner, right guard. They got their left tackle, Cole Van Lannen, who, you know, typical Wisconsin offensive line. They got NFLers all over. I'm going to say that they dominate a little too much up front. Nebraska might score a little bit, but I just don't think Nebraska's good. So give me Wisconsin in that one. I'm with you on this. I I don't really, I'm not a big buyer into Nebraska this year. Um, I don't I don't think they're as good as they think they are, which is pretty much every year. But you know, I think Wisconsin's offensive line is going to open up some very giant holes. They're gonna I'm gonna go under, and I'm gonna go Wisconsin, and I think it's gonna be by a touchdown or two. Yeah, Nebraska's still living in the Turner Gill, Eric Crouch days. Tommy Frazier, Tommy Frazier's still playing quarterback for the University of Nebraska. So they wish yeah. he was. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I'm sure they wish <laughs> they wish he was too. Well, LSU three point favorites over Auburn over under set at 65 points. David, this is another weird one for me here. Um, I don't know where to go with this game. I really don't. So that's why I'm going to defer to you, like I usually do when I don't have a great <laughs> sense of what this game is going to bring. Uh, well, LSU Auburn. What do you think? You know, I think this is going to be a good matchup. This is going to be a good game right here. I, you know, if you would have asked me this matchup week one or two, I would have been LSU going to going to bounce back. They're going to win this game easily. It's going to go, you know, no hands, no hands down. Oh, you know, they're going to get them. The Cajuns going to get them. But now with what I'm seeing out of LSU, the, these opt outs and the rest of the COVID situation, it's really weighing on them. And you know, Auburn. They're not the Auburn of the past either. And that Knicks kid, he's a sophomore. I thought he would have more to him. You know, he's not showing me as much as I was hoping he would show us. So for right now, I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be an under, but I'm going to pick Auburn to win. Bo Nix, more like Bo Stinks. Am I right? Yeah, is Rick um, listening? <laughs> would you see? I think Rick was in here. Shout out to Rick if you're watching. Bo Nix ain't it, brother. Um, this game... LSU just had a pretty nice showing against South Carolina. Auburn's been very, like, not great for me so far. I'm going to pick Auburn just because LSU has that freshman quarterback. Even though he had a nice first outing, I think that he might run into some rougher waters coming soon, being a young guy. So give me Seth Williams and Auburn to take this victory um, outright because they're three-point underdogs. So, um, I think I might go under there on this one, though. I don't know about that 65. That 65 does not sit well with me. Yeah, I think that's too high for sure. Yep. So we are about to jump into the mailbag. If anybody is out there wants to throw in some more questions, we are about to cover a couple questions. We only got a couple this week for the mailbag. So please, if you're listening, throw those questions in there right now as I'm telling you that we appreciate you for tuning in to Mav Sports Take tonight. Are you a coach looking for a way to improve your interview material? Would you like to know what is in the mind of the interviewer before sitting down with them? David's 18 years of experience will coach you to be better prepared for the opportunities in front of you. With his help, you will position yourself to not only gain the interview opportunity, but also accomplish your goal and gain the coaching position of your dreams. Head over to Maverick Sports Consulting to view his service today. Do that right now, maverick-sports-consulting.com. All right, David, we are going to get into some questions. Again, anybody out there want to throw us a couple more in here? We have a lot of 2021 NFL draft-centric questions tonight, so um, only a couple that we're going to take 
just because we, uh, we, we did a lot during this show, which is awesome. Appreciate you all for throwing those in to the chat throughout. Um, let us look what we have so far here. I have someone in here asking me, we know Micah Parsons and Dylan Moses are at off-ball linebacker in the 2021 class. Who are some, uh, some day two or three linebackers you like? All right, so let's roll through this. There's a bunch, I mean, to be honest. Um, off the top of my head, I mean, it depends what we're, we're, we're eventually going to land to, right? Like a couple of Ohio State guys, Pete Werner, Baron Browning might be day two guys just because they're early second-round prospects. Um, is Chad Surratt going to last into the second round out of North Carolina? Who knows? Is Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, who's a your, – your, your, David loves Shaq Thompson, right? We talk about him a lot. That's your Shaq Thompson type of mole. He's a he's a modern day Sam that can play out on slot receivers, do a lot of versatile things in coverage. Can he be a, a day two pick? I think so. A sleeper that I want to throw out though, and I've been kind of you know hyping this guy up a little bit over the last couple of weeks because Rutgers got their first Big Ten win in years, which was awesome. By the way, we have to shout that out. Beating Michigan State, actually handily beating Michigan State. I think it was thirty to twenty final, which was awesome to see. Tyshawn Fogg from the Rutgers, was a nice recruit, number eight. He is a little over six foot, 240 pounds. He has some uh, has some nice um, nice strength to him, but he is a, he is a really, really underappreciated athlete. He can go sideline to sideline a little bit. He, hit, he, mit, he really fits that modern um, linebacker mold, which I think he can play a little bit of Will. He can play a little bit of Mike. I think he's versatile in what he does. So I would definitely take a look out for Tyshawn Fogg from Rutgers, probably an early day three pick, but a linebacker that's not getting much talk at this point. Alec is going to ask a question. David, I'm going to throw this one over to you. Is Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals, a legit contender? I hope Rick Saratella is listening to this. (laughs) Yeah, he hopes he is too. And the answer is no. So it's a simple no, not yet. They have some good pieces to the puzzle. But again, when they match up against a really good deep, the, the other night they had the Seattle Seahawks had a 10 point lead with three minutes and 30 seconds to go. And Shaq, um, Griffin got hurt and he was spying Kyler all night. So as soon as Kyler would break the pocket, he would fire and go get him with it. it was outside, inside. As soon as he got hurt, then Kyler became more mobile, was able to do the open, the middle of the field opened up. Like when they knew that. Uh, was it third and 15 and Kyler ran for 15, 16 yards? That was because Shaq was out of the game. When you have a fully loaded defense that they're going to have to go up against, it's going to be very hard for them to win because they just don't have the running game. They don't have the play action screen game that they need to be successful at the next level for taking that step one step further to be a championship and true contender on defense. Though they have Patrick Peterson and Buda Baker. They don't really have, in my opinion, a legit pass rush. I think they have a good pass rush, but it's not elite. It's not like the Chicago Bears pass rush, right? So, again, they're on the come next year. They're maybe a whole different story we're talking about with some moves, some draft picks. But this year, they're not there yet. No, I like it. I like it. I'm going to round out here with a couple draft questions that threw at me at Rise and Draft. Appreciate you all so much, again, for giving us the questions of the week. Devi IDP Grind Podcast asks, thoughts on Andre Sisco, safety from Syracuse, pros, cons, draft, prote- draft 
draft projection, teams you'd like to see him land with. Uh, I'm going to only answer the first two parts of those questions just because I really want to just give you a, a comprehensive idea of what I think of Andre Sisco. I have been on the Andre Sisco wagon for a little bit. I think he's a day one prospect. Now he just had a torn ACL. He's declared for the 2021 NFL draft. Is he going to be able to test before the draft begins? I think that's going to be the big question. How healthy is he going to be during that process? But on the fields, and he was having a nice year before he got hurt for Syracuse. That guy is your traditional center fielder, deep coverage safety, a guy that allows everybody in front of you, second level and cornerbacks, to be incredibly versatile in coverage. He's the kind of guy that allows you to be man-to-man across the board with the type of range that he has on the back ends. Is he the greatest tackler in the world? I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's as bad as some people act like he is. I think that he's tentative at some points, but I think when he needs to tackle, he can come up and he can lay the wood. I, I don't think that it's any issue at all. think that coverage versatility-wise, he's everything that you want. He can come down, play a little man-to-man coverage, but he also, everything that he can do on the back end is special. 13 interceptions in 23 career games. The guy knows how to turn the football over, which I think people are really going to covet. So I'm a big fan of Andre Sisco. Last question we have here, Mr. Sean Wright asks, what puts J.C. Horn over Patrick Sertan Jr. for me? David knows I'm a big J.C. Horn fan, probably the biggest in the world. It's fine. I had a first-round grade on him going into the season. It seems like most people are kind of you know, moving to my train of thought a little more. I will say, what makes J.C. better for me than Patrick Sertan? I think stylistically they're a little different. JC is pure, 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 pure. Get up on the line of scrimmage, press man cornerback, super physical. Joe Horn's son, he has ball skills. Even though, you know, people really publicized his lack of interceptions going on into the year, we saw against Auburn, ball skills are not a problem. He will tackle. He is super physical. Stephon Gilmore tweeted him out, and I don't think that's a bad comparison comparing him to a guy like Stephon Gilmore. I think he can physically dominate at the line of scrimmage to that degree at the next level. Why do I have him over Patrick Sertan? I think that Patrick Sertan is a good man-to-man corner who has some cover three potential as a zone corner, but I don't see anything. I don't think he's physically dominant to the degree that he should be. And if you saw Patrick Sertan um, Sr., I guess you would call him now, Patrick Sertan was a competitive dude. He did not like to lose any reps. I don't see that with Patrick Sertan Jr. yet. I think he's a very solid football player, but give me the mentality of J.C. Horn right now. And I think J.C. is just a little more fluid than Patrick is. And while I would be completely fine with taking Patrick in the first round, for me, J.C. Horn, that's kind of what separates it for me right now and why I think that he could potentially be a top 20 pick. I've been on this bandwagon a little bit, and I think that it definitely could happen. David, as we're kind of wrapping up here, can you tell the folks about your uh, seminar that you're hosting on Thursday and what they should expect from that event? Well, really quick, Snoopy showed up with Zero's nose on and wants to say hello to everybody. Woof, woof. <laughs> 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 so That's she wanted costume. to get in on the action. She went and got her costume on. Uh, you know me, big family guy. I love it that she comes and hangs out. And she helps out all the time. My little TV producer over here helps us with everything. Um, so... 
on Thursday night, if you're looking for a free seminar, come join us. Come learn about how to set your goals, how to how to set your roadmap to be successful on social media, whatever that may be. Learn the tools and traits that it will take for you to develop your profile on, on social media, advance your career, not only your playing career, but post-playing career using social media. Learn how to avoid the steps that get people in trouble, as well as take advantage of steps that people aren't even thinking about. Um, Grace DeWitt, myself, we're gonna be we're gonna be there uh, online doing the seminar together. You're gonna get Douglas Digital plus the power of Maverick Sports Consulting working for you if you come take advantage of this free seminar and hopefully one of our services. Absolutely, and we want to thank obviously our guests for coming on today, Farhan Lalje. I think I said that right. I think I did of TSN bringing us everything that we need to know about the state of the CFL, passing of the BC Lions owner, and his take on the NFL as well. So I hope that you enjoyed that so much. We want to thank you all for taking a time to be with us tonight. This podcast is going to drop tomorrow. If you're following this live, 3 o'clock Eastern time, 12 o'clock Pacific time. We want to thank everyone again for the mailbag for the week, the questions that you put into the chat, a couple of events to keep an eye out for this week. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, Wednesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, we'll be in the film room with NFL Draft Bible with Mr. Brian Baldinger and Baldy's Breakdowns. Make sure to fo- follow that, um, that event. Sign up now at NFLDraftBible.com, as well as we will also be diving into the film room offensive tackles this week on Friday night scout school, 9 o'clock Eastern Time as well. Friday night, season pass, I would definitely recommend, but at least come take a look at Ronnie Stanley, Tristan Wirfs, and some of the great offensive tackles in the NFL. Make sure to sign up for that today. We want to thank you all. Make sure that you like, share, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at Rise and Drift and at Mav underscore sports for Mr. David Turner. This is Mav Sports Take, episode 12, Halloween edition, signing off. Thank you all so much again, and we'll see you again, same time, same place, next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit maverick and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.